Is this on? Okay, solid red. Maybe I can get in the mood to tell that story. From Bloom, this is Scabs, and you're listening to Love Rice. It's an experiment in love and life and happiness. Today's show is called Man Hater. Now, stay with me. I promise this story is worth it. This story isn't just about a man hater. It's about my friend Nat. And it's first in a series of podcasts we'll do about weird therapies. So, you know, a couple of years ago when I was going through a really hard time, uh, a friend said to me, oh, you have to go see my therapist. Her name's Glenda. Glenda the Good Witch. Glenda did some kind of, you know, hypnosis or tapping or maybe conjuring of gigantic magic bubbles that take you to the land of Oz. I wasn't really sure what I thought. And and today I still regret not having gone to see her. So Weird Therapies is inspired by Glenda and all those therapies out there that are just a bit strange, a little left of normal. You know, these therapies, they just take us to a different place. and, And we really wonder, do they even work? So today we'll talk about something called EMDR, or Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Anyway, it's something that according to my friend Nat is like the time machine on the movie Napoleon Dynamite. That's all I could think about. I didn't say it, but I thought, oh wow, you might want to try something that has a chance (laughs) of working. So Nat's at a conference, and it's a, a get-together of women who have experienced trauma in their relationships. And this is when she gets her first real glimpse of what EMDR looks like. You end up sitting at a table with, like, I don't know, five or six other people, and we start talking about therapies. And this girl was asking everyone, have you tried EMDR? I asked what it was. And so she describes it to me. You uh, use this little machine. There's a, a box that has uh, three cords plugged into it, and one of them is for headphones. And then the other one is like this uh, pulsar sensor thing, and you take one in each hand. And in the headphones, there's like a kind of beep sound. And as it makes that sound, like first in your right ear, it, the pulsar in your right hand vibrates. And then it switches to the left, so you hear beep in your left ear, and then the pulsar in your left hand vibrates. And it goes back and forth, so you've got beep, 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 beep. Just like it's supposed to replicate rapid eye movement, so REM sleep, and activate both sides of your brain. And so any kind of therapy or visualization or processing that you do when you're using this machine, it, it sticks with you. It's supposed to help. So Nat listens politely, but really, this is what's going on in her head. Anyway, so she's describing all this, and the only thing I can think of when I'm hearing her talk about this is that scene in Napoleon Dynamite where they're, like, testing out the time machine. <laughs> yeah, they, they get this time machine on the Internet, and it basically looks like an uh, engine from a vacuum cleaner wrapped in tin foil with all these like raw wires. But it has handles. Yeah, handles. And they like plug a it. Stick, yeah. Like a miniature. And you put it between your legs. It's plugged into a like car battery that you turn on. <laughs> 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 That's all I could think about is the Napoleon Dynamite machine. And I didn't say it, but I thought, oh wow, you might want to try something that has a chance <laughs> of working. <laughs> you know? 
In other words, Nat thought the EMDR machine sounded totally ridiculous. You know, especially compared to the very real pain she was facing in her own life. Now, if any of you out there have been through a divorce, you understand that a divorce is is usually one of those decisions where you're you're choosing the least awful of two completely awful choices. And that's where Nat is. With four young kids, she's in the middle of making that impossible decision. And her husband and her are, are facing the terrible untangling of their lives. In fact, at this point, you know, boundaries have been crossed and, and they've separated for the second time. We had this conversation where I basically, uh, I went everywhere short of saying I've definitely made up my mind we're getting a divorce. I told him, my brother's coming to stay with me, that we were separated and I needed support and he was going to come stay with me for um, a month until Halloween. He was going to stay in the house. She remembers an odd pause and silence as her husband drops his head and looks to the floor. And when he looks up, according to Nat, things got terrifying. And, uh, and he blew up. I mean, in a way that I'd never seen him before, where he was raging in my face, calling me selfish, saying, that man is not going to take um, my resources. He's not going to live in my house and be around when I pick up my kids. And just raging. And the, but the thing that got to me was he was... He was yelling and screaming and in my face and being all domineering and stuff until he saw me cry. For a long time, I was just numbed, kind of staring at him like, what the heck just happened? It was so out of the blue and so not justified that when he first started yelling, I looked over my shoulder to see who he was talking to, who he was yelling at. Yeah, no, it really stunned me. And, And he just kept going on that rage until I broke down and started crying. And then you could see it descend like over his face, like he instantly calmed down and felt really satisfied, looked satisfied, like I accomplished what I needed to accomplish here. But that was the first time it felt like he was choosing. He was choosing not to see me as a human being. By the time I told him that, you know, I've I've made the decision and we're getting divorced, I was I was afraid, really, really afraid, because I felt like there's nothing that's going to hold him back. I know he doesn't love me. I remember just being shaking all the time, just couldn't stop myself from shaking. And my mom was really confused by it, saying, "Are you? do you think he's going to hit you? Now let me take a second and be very clear here. Nat's husband had never hit her and never been violent. But the kind of fear that she's feeling isn't about violence. I mean, what does that what does that mean? I mean, you're yeah. I, I it still happens if I talk about it. See, I I I get really really cold. My teeth chatter, and I shake all over, and it's just this complete feeling of helplessness. Like I used to read about, um, there's these cops who's, who talk about if you know someone is going to be murdered, like that there's someone out there who's trying to kill so-and-so, 
It doesn't matter that you know ahead of time. It's really hard to prevent it. If someone is determined to kill somebody, you can't just protect them 24/7, you know, you can't. Be you the can't flash and like Yeah, you know, yeah, there's there's that if they're really if they have their minds set to it, you can put all these preventive measures, but there's not a lot you can do about it. And mm-hmm. um and that's kind of what this felt like where it was like I knew who he was now and I knew that he was dead set on hurting me no matter what the consequences of it and I knew there was nothing I could do about it and yet this was my life and my kids lives that were at stake and it was a really helpless terrifying feeling and and I didn't know how to stop that and so it was like standing in front of a train and just waiting for it to come hit us all you know Fear is one of those encompassing feelings. It can just take over. And so in order to keep her sanity, Nat a lot of times would just lace up her tiny runners and she would run. She would just run. And the method of running seemed to help calm her mind. But it was on one of these runs that she noticed a man. And this man pulled up to a stop sign. And as she jogged by, she watched his eyes follow her down the street my like stomach just dropped and I wanted to I wanted to do two things part of me wanted to curl up in a ball and like protect myself where I don't I don't want your eyes on me don't ever look at me again and the other part of me was like this huge volcano of rage where if I had a baseball bat in my hands at that time I would have chased after the car and like <laughs> dragged him out of it you know where I was just so well, upset. you're not just smashing taillights <laughs> no I was just so furious and just disgusted with the state of the world where in my head that man was married and he had children and he couldn't even keep his freaking eyes to himself to drive out of his neighborhood you know mm-hmm. That was who he was to me. And I was just so fed up with with everything, with every man in the world. I just wanted to wipe them all off the face of the earth. And so between her husband and and the man in this car, Nat feels her fear beginning to morph into this serious man hating. But the thing is, in her mind, she knows that's not the truth about all men. In fact, she has some great examples of men in her life like her dad and her brothers. When the divorce began, they dropped everything and moved across the country so they could be closer to help and support her and her kids. But still, the man-hating feels so heavy. And Nat, she knows she doesn't want to feel this way. So I found myself (laughs) in therapy for trauma and um, asking for something that could just get me through even just the legal proceedings, even just fighting for being able to keep custody of my children and um, just the basics. I mean, we were, it was really acrimonious. It was every single detail was being contested. And so I'm sitting in there and she goes, well, for this level of trauma, um, cognitive type verbal therapy I don't find very effective what does work is this box (laughs) (laughs) at first I didn't even realize until she turned it on and I was like oh my gosh (laughs) this is that box (laughs) 
are you kidding me? This, I felt, for honestly, I felt like, well, now I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> what you're telling me is there's nothing that's going to work. So <laughs> this magic time machine box. <laughs> and so, you know, she looks at the box and there's just nothing left to do but to reach out and place the headphones on her ears and take a sensor in each of her hands. And our therapist looks at her and says, okay, tell me a thought or an idea that you're struggling with. Immediately, Nat says, It feels like there are no good men at all. The world does not contain good men. That it's all a lie. So Nat closes her eyes and begins to hear the beep, 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 beep of the machine. She tries to let her mind go blank, but just like any time someone tells you to let your mind go blank, it's suddenly wide awake and alive. And so it takes a few minutes of struggling back and forth, but finally she's able to relax. And when she does... It's like in Harry Potter, where you drop the little memory floss in the pensieve and all of a sudden you get sucked down into the memory or whatever. It was like falling into a waking dream. So I kind of fall into the state where I'm walking in like one of those covered parking garages and it's night and I have the keys in my hand and I know I'm being watched. And so I start looking around and can just sense that someone's there and you walk a little faster and I do that thing that every woman does where you hold your keys you know between your oh you do that too oh yeah so that you can gouge someone's eyes (laughs) out with your little weapon (laughs) and so I've got my little killer keys with me and and I look and there's someone following me and then at the end of the row there's someone in front of me too and so I turn to go a third direction and there's a man standing there too until there's all there, there's a lot of them. They're all kind of descending, coming in. It's like a circle that's closing in on me. And the, my heart's all racing. And, uh, and I can just feel the adrenaline going through my limbs and my hands are freezing cold. And you're not supposed to, like, try to take control uh, or influence whatever you're seeing in this state. But I couldn't take it. And so I started trying to wrest control of it. And I was imagining, okay, someone, someone's going to run in here and rescue me. So I try to picture that, and it doesn't happen. And as they, they're getting closer, I'm like, okay, I'm going to imagine a gun in my hand. And I have the gun in my hand, and I start shooting people point blank, you know, just in the face. It's like in a video game where they fall and then come straight back up. And I'm starting to really hyperventilate, panicking. They're coming in, descending in as they come in at me and everything starts happening. I I do that thing that I've often done where you separate yourself from it and you're looking down at yourself instead. And the phrase that keeps running in my head over and over is, you can take my body, but it will not be me. It will not be me. You can take my body, but it will not be me. It will not be me. And that, that's from when I was 11. It was the first time I, I 
saw the, this movie, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and in it, <laughs> Maid Marian is almost raped by, uh, by uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham, and she says those words, and it was the first time I, as a kid that I had barely understood sex, but it was the first time that I knew, oh, that's what rape is. And so that phrase is running through my head over and over. You can take my body, but it will not be me. And then all of a sudden the beep boop, beep boop, beep boop stops. And she has you come out of it and take a deep breath, describe what happened. And it's like coming up out of like, water where you haven't been able to breathe, you know, for, for ages. And I was terrified to go back. I was, what the freak was that? I do not want to go back in there. Oh, wow. And, and, but she's like, well, that, that's level one. We're going to, you know, take a deep breath and go back. And she's all calm and as she always is and says the same words that she always says. We're just like, okay, well, let's go with that. And then you're back. So for a long time, it's pitch black, and I'm until a light comes on, and I'm still outside of my body. I can see myself just standing in this pitch black room. There's only one light above me. And for a long time, it's like, I need that. I just need to be alone. Nothing better happen, you know? <laughs> and then uh, out of the darkness, a figure comes, and he's just this generic, faceless man but there's no feeling of menace or malice or anything threatening. And he comes and hugs me, and which I'm surprised I'm allowed, <laughs> I allowed to have happen. But when, he, when it happens, all I can think is he wasn't there to rescue, he wasn't there for anything, but all he's saying now over and over is, that was hard. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That was really hard. And it was like, that's all I needed was some, someone to say that. And then, you know, the beeping stops and they come out and you go back for a third. She usually does this like five times. And uh, so the third time I go in, I see flashes of faces hovering in front of me. And um, I, I don't recognize them, but it's like as soon as I see a face, it's like you get flooded with a whole knowledge of who they are in one big piece. Uh, oh, that's a father, he's got six kids, he's working three jobs, he lived in the 1700s. <laughs> you know, just all, all this knowledge, right, as you see the face. and and one will appear and then disappear and then it's the next and the next and the next and I'm getting just flooded with these images of people who've lived for, for the past like hundreds and hundreds of years and the hardships that they faced and the jobs that they're working and the sacrifices they've made for their kids and they're all men hmm. and they all look beaten down and worn and um, valiant though and as, as the flashes get faster and faster and faster until it's just a blur of people, I can't even believe how many 
good people there are. And that's all of a sudden what comes in my head is that it is, it is a hard thing to be a good man in this world. And then the next thing I see is um, it's light. Um, you know how you can like zoom out on the world at night? They take those pictures from the space, you know, and, and you get to see uh, see what it looks at, like at night with all the lights shining and stuff. That's kind of how this was where I saw a light shining and it was like a camera was backing up. And as I back up, I get to see more of the picture and more lights and more lights until I'm looking at a globe crisscrossed with just all this light and the knowledge that each one of those lights is a person mm -hmm. and not just a person but a noble valiant good person someone who's trying to be good in this world and it was so awesome that I started choking up and feeling like I had no idea I had no idea how many good people there are. And as I come out of that one, you know, the beep boop, beep boop stops. And she looks at me and goes, do you still feel like there are no good men in this world? <laughs> and all of a sudden, all the anger and hatred and disgust and everything that I felt after at that moment when I'd wanted to beat up the guy in the car, it was all gone. And all I could think of was that globe lit up with all these lights and all the men who, it's hard to be a good man in this world. And I was grateful. My friend Nat blogs at amurdereroflove.blogspot.com, where she tells the raw life story of cultivating love amid her ex-husband's sexual addiction. Now this is the first in a series of stories we're going to do called Weird Therapies. If you have a weird therapy story that you'd like to share, be sure to send it to us. Email your ideas and your comments at scabs at bloomforwomen.com. Love Rise is supported by Bloom, and it's a self-help resource for women who feel like they've been betrayed in their relationships, whether by infidelity, pornography, or anything else. They've got great online classes and support. In fact, if you've resonated with Nat's story today, I'd recommend listening to their Healing from Betrayal Trauma class. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us for more stories. Where is the button to turn this off? And there it is.